Welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books that experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Chelsea, a lover of Harry Potter and any good book that's going to make me cry. And I'm Nicole, also love Harry Potter and and any historical fiction I can get my hands on. Yeah, and this would normally be the section where we would talk about what we're reading lately, but... We, we haven't are, read anything else, you guys. Yep, We've only life. read this book. We were double recording, and I've been moving, and it's, and school has yeah, started. I'm so. trying to buy a house. It's real great. <laughs> yeah, lots of good things are happening. But I realized actually that up until like two days ago, I hadn't picked up a physical book in a month. How sad Which is that? Which is very I, sad. And I, it felt really satisfying to to pick one up again. Where I was just like, ugh, I my soul needed this. Yeah, it's. <laughs> That I was listening to audiobooks, but it's just not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. Um, I was just laughing when you were doing the intro because, it, to me, I've been listening to so, so much audiobook uh-huh. that it sounded – you were talking so fast that it was like you're on 1.5 speed. <laughs> That's how I talk all the time, 1.5 speed, Gilmore Girl style. <laughs> um, all right. So this is – today. this week we read book 32, um, A Pale View of Hills by – Kazuo Ishiguro. Uh huh. Published in 1982. It was 183 pages, and it's uh, Ishiguro is a Japanese person who immigrated to England. Yes. Uh, so, if you had described this book in one word, Chelsea, how would you describe it? I would say that this book is very has. <laughs> I would say that this book has an unreliable narrator. Okay, two words, but I'll let it pass. Is that what I said before? <laughs> Yeah. I don't remember even saying that. Just like 10 minutes ago when we were filling out our notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> my one word is loss, which I feel like plays on several levels yes. in this book. Um, our quick plot description is Etsuko, an immigrant from post-World War II Japan, recra- recalls a brief friendship from the time of her pregnancy as she deals with her adult daughter's suicide. Or did any of that happen at all? We don't know. Bum, bum, bum. Um, yeah, so this book had some crazy uh, possible plot twists slash possible like conspiracy theories about what the book is really about on the internet. It is all over the place. Right. And so I'm going to say that I read this book like in one day, like in two sittings, the day after I moved in a, in a state of real sleepiness. And mm-hmm. until I walked into your house tonight, I had just read it in a very shallow way and I liked it. And then when you told me... The, the deeper theory that you found in it and then double checked on the internet, I was just like, ugh. To me, that makes the book way worse. So before we get into this book, have you read anything else by this guy? I have. I've read one of his most favorite famous books, Never Let Me Go. Which ugh, is, I, hate I like this author. So this is probably going to be the most contentious <laughs> episode we've ever had because I like this author and Nicole hates him never let me go is probably the only book in the last five years that i started and didn't finish (laughs) i liked it i didn't i was gonna say i loved it but i didn't love it i liked it i read that book because it's supposed to be like groundbreaking science fiction Uh uh-huh but then i just found it obnoxious like i find his writing not so much in this book but the meaning in it is so deep that it's like you have to dig the deepest hole you can to find it and then dig for another 24 hours and then you find what he was trying to say. And you're usually the one who hates reading meaning into I something know. and so I don't know how you like his books. I just, I like it because it's more like a mystery. Like I don't feel like it's reading meaning. Like I feel like it's like figuring out the mystery. Uh, 
So, I I mean, I I guess that's a little different. I guess I feel like, I feel like he's like a guy that you meet at a party who's like telling you about his job as a programmer Mm -hmm. or something. And then when you're like, oh yeah, my friend does blah, blah, kind of like that. Like, you know something about his job. He's like, no, 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 you can't possibly understand me. Yeah. Like, this is really what my, I really am doing this. And that's like, I find the tone of both. Never let me go and this book. See, I just I I just don't get that. So I feel like it'll be really interesting as we talk about this book to see how it kind of goes. So we could probably yeah. give the quick plot. I read the quick plot already. The or, sorry, the more <laughs> the spoiler alert and the more in depth plot. Okay, so I'll so give the talk plot about it. as I read it outside yes. of the conspiracy deep dive. You're so this is about about a woman Asuko who is living in England. She's Japanese. She left Japan after World War II, like a, a ways after World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's an adult woman, and she has adult children, and you know that her oldest daughter has recently committed suicide, and her youngest daughter is visiting. Um, and who, who has, like, they a were half-siblings. They're half-siblings. Um, and then while her daughter's visiting, she's, like, reminiscing about her time in Japan when she was pregnant with the oldest daughter, mm-hmm. Keiko. Her name was Keiko. Um, and, like, a friendship. She had a very short friendship we had with a woman um, who like lived in her neighborhood and had a daughter and they had a lot of like weird interactions. Um, and that um, woman was like with an American guy and was like trying to leave to come to America, but mm-hmm. he kept drinking away all the money they had saved to do that. And it was just like, had a lot of bad stuff going on in her life. And then, um, Asuko was supposed to be like, everything was going perfect for her. Her husband was being successful in business. She was going to have a family. They were putting together. They lived in Nagasaki. They She had lost like her whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were really like, you know, like she's supposed to be happy, but it was obvious she wasn't happy. Um, yeah. And, and then you know that in, sometime in the future, she leaves that husband and goes to England, mm-hmm. right, with her daughter. And, and the sense is that she leaves the husband because – He's too traditional to be Japanese. And a lot of it is kind of the background is that, like, the U.S. is occupying Japan after World War II. We wrote Japan's constitution, you know, and so they're being rapidly westernized and the good and the bad of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found that part really interesting because it's interesting to me that Japan is, like, now, like, a first world nation um, and really successful on the world stage. Um, but I think some, at least some of that is because they were forced to become really adept at interacting with Western societies, really American societies really fast. And that means I'm certainly means that they must have lost something of their Mm -hmm. traditional culture, which is not good. Um, but their ability to like adapt probably is why they're successful now. And then they can like at a business level work well with corporations like Western and European corporations. Um, so and so, and then, so that, like, that to me, like, I read the book and that's what it was about. Now you go. <laughs> so I read the book and on a surface level, that was what it was about. And then the whole time there's two, it weaves in and out of this woman's story in the future and this woman's story that she's telling about her past. And then on like the final 10 pages, there's a pronoun shift where there's for one page, all the pronouns shift in a way that makes it seem like. Um, Asuko, right, mm-hmm. um, is actually the other woman in the story and that the daughter, Ke- Keiko, is actually the other woman's daughter so that she's like an unreliable narrator. She's she's unable to accept the pain of what happened to her daughter and how she probably caused that by removing her daughter from 
Japan or indirectly, not directly, but like indirectly played a role in that because she knew her daughter wasn't going to be happy moving her from Japan to the United States. To England. To England with this man that she didn't want, the daughter didn't want her to be with. And so she's so separated herself from that that even in her memories, she views it as a third person because the tense just shifts. Mm -hmm. So it goes from talking about like you and your mom can come back to we can come back any day you want we can come back again and it just felt like it shifted also the internet is a weird and dark place (laughs) and there's a whole other i did not read this in this book but now that i read that this is a theory i'm like oh my god there are hints of that which is also really creepy and i don't like um there's a secondary storyline about there being um murders of child child murders that year um and it's never it's just like child murders kids aren't out on the streets anymore except for this one little girl end point and then there's lots of scenes with a suko carrying around a rope or like there's a rope around them and there's references to the rope and they oh, keep yeah. bringing up that the final child murder was a hanging of a little girl. Oh, my gosh. The, that, See? that is kind of in there. So, Ooh, and so then creepy. the final theory that the internet has that I found is that the last scene where it switches tenses, she murders that little girl. And so, like, that that was her final child murder, which I don't like that at all. And it creeps me out because like, you can so totally see how they got it you can also see how i got my interpretation you can also see the literal interpretation so what the fuck are you supposed to get from this book it's so creepy yeah the murderer one really creeped me out that one i mean i almost feel like that's like that is in the text like that is that's more in the text than the medium one to me in some ways because i think i just the like it changes tenses in this one place and then there's also it's also sprinkled in but you don't notice it i remember we read another book where you were like and you had, you came to the podcast and you were like oh in this one section the tense is uh-huh. different and i didn't notice it at all and i just feel like i don't notice that and so it was really lost on me that that was the, that was the and i just i didn't want it to be that dark well and it, it makes me i mean i don't think i'm gonna reread it because i'm worried that the child murderer one is the real one and i don't want to read that. well i bet the answer is is that the author doesn't even care which one the real one is which i kind of think is cool it's because it doesn't feel like a deeper meaning search it feels like a puzzle yeah that is why you like it and that's why i think it's stupid <laughs> i i think that i just that to me that's like I don't know. I just don't think it's readable. <laughs> I, I, there's a, a few things I like about this book, and I, the surface level interpretation, I think is fine, not great, like as a read. But the and the serial killer, child killer thing is at least shocking. Uh-huh. But the, just the like, oh, the tense has changed in this one spot, and it's really her, and it's that vague. I just find annoying because it's too hard to see it. Um, but it's like in Alias Grace when she's an unreliable narrator, she like. It's way more on the surface, and you, I could was really like, whoa! Like you don't know, is it a spiritual experience? Is it a split personality? Is it a possession? You know, and and I liked it, but in this book, it just doesn't work for me. I don't know, yeah, and I I like that it's like you think you're reading a different novel. Like we were talking about how we thought maybe um, that she kidnapped that daughter, yeah, um, and to that take Keiko, her from her who mom. was dead, was really the Mariko, the yeah. child from the past, um, and, that and that something like that had happened. Um, and so the whole time I was building a different narrative. And then when that happened, I liked that. I was like, Oh, what? 
And then I reread it and I was like, no, what? Like, I really liked that. I felt like, whereas you felt it was too subtle, I thought it was kind of cool that it wasn't really there. And then all of a sudden you had to be like, huh, have I been reading that? Is that what happened? But now I I can see that's why what you like about it, but it's just not for me. And now that I've talked about the theory about the murder thing out loud, I'm real freaked out that that's what it really was. And it's I like (laughs) the answer is there's no answer. There isn't. It was really this. It's just all of those things at once. It's meant to be vague. At some point in this book novel, book novel, good English. (laughs) There is a scene where they drown some kittens. And I have real Very issues. casually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because if you take the literal reading of the book, it's like the, the mother of the girl is drowning the kittens. And she knows that in the past, her daughter during the war saw a woman drowning an infant like that. And then she's like, it's no big deal that my daughter is now seeing me drown these her beloved kittens in the exact same way, mm-hmm. which is so creepy and weird. Well, and it's just like. Oh, you could let the kittens free. They'll find a home or they won't. Let them roam. It's fine. Nope, yeah. I'm going to put them in this box and I'm going to drown them. I know, but if Shachiko is really a Tsuko, then it fits in with the murderer thing. See? Because murderers, serial killers usually kill animals in their kids, you know, first. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, this, this book was really weird. Why do you think it's called A Pale View of the Hills? Because it talks frequently about, so... Nagasaki, um, as it's rebuilding, there's been sections that have been completely rebuilt after the war, but then on the other side of the river, no one lives there, and it's all hilly, and there's just a couple of broken down houses, but no one lives over there anymore because they haven't rebuilt it yet. So I feel like it's referencing looking over, because frequently they talk about looking at those hills. Also, I just... I'm so skewed out now by this book. I wasn't before. Now I'm creeped out by it. Um, and so I feel like it's referencing that, like uh, that view well, through her window. I was, so we, our books have different covers, but they both like yours kind of looks like it's like some people's shadows on the ground. And mine is like a p- picture of a mother and a daughter, but it looks kind of like a shadow, but a little bit more depth than that. Uh-huh. And it's very like ashy looking uh, and like blurry. And it makes me think of those photos from Hiroshima and Nagasaki where there's like, a black smudge on the ground where someone was standing when the bomb went off and they dissolved. Uh huh. That's kind of what this, the picture on this cover oh, that's reminds kind me of. of interesting. Um, and so I, and I, so I, it makes me think, I mean, if this is a book about post-World War II Japan in Nagasaki, you mm-hmm. can't, I think the imagery of the bomb is like all over it, you know? Yeah. Well, and that was interesting too. It, um, I did think Outside, one thing we can agree on on this book, that it did a really interesting look at Japan mm-hmm. post-World War II, which you kind of already touched on, but it also spent a lot of time talking about how it was rebuilding and how many people, which fits in with my theory, the repression theory, but like how many people are kind of repressing the things they did in that war or the people they lost or the things that happened in the immediate aftermath because you just have to go on living. Yeah. To find something to live for. And then that's why it's like, Oh, you're having a baby. You're have a good job. Like just only look forward, mm-hmm. only be going forward. Even though like five of your family members died in the bomb. You yeah. Know? Um, did you know that when we bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan was already willing to surrender? Yes, I did. It's outrageous. It's terrible. It's <laughs> killed millions of people for no reason. For no reason. And set the set like a, that nuclear war was an acceptable yeah. thing. With to these happen. bombs that we named outrageously like big, disgusting yeah. names, big boy or whatever it was. And like, like it was yeah. some joke to kill millions of people. Yeah. That were already surrendering and that were already like starving and stuff. Because like. it's interesting too, because you can never really know the full 
death toll of that because of the radiation and how for years years after the cancer rates are still so much higher and birth defects and birth defects and things so what is the real death toll i know it is crazy i think i always imagine that after nagasaki and hiroshima were bombed that at least for a while nobody lived in those cities but this is like set not like with it by before 1950 right Mm -hmm. like not that long after and and it's like a full city of people are still living there. Well, it kind which of, which is just like, we did you not know that it was going to be this? Like, why would you go and build where the bomb had just been? Like, well, that's it references crazy. that they, um, people are coming out and testing the water, but then they just leave. Yeah, like they come out, they test the water, they don't say anything about what they found, and they left. Which is interesting because where was it? Was it China or Japan that had the meltdown? Ch- couple, Japan, Japan. So they have a lot of nuclear power there, which is kind of ironic. Yeah. yeah. So Japan had that meltdown not that long ago. And I watched a YouTube video. Um, I can't remember who it was. It was someone who's like a dependable YouTuber, not like an outrageous YouTuber, um, who did one of those tours where you can see the towns that are, that are currently like people can't live in them. Right. And like how areas that, Japan currently says are safe for people to be in for a certain number of hours still have like random spots that have like giant spikes in radiation. And so like, um, in this video, the tour, they made the people turn around because are the the people, the tourists were like, we got to leave. We're not like the guy was like, Oh no, it's totally fine. You could still keep going. It's totally fine. And they were like, no, what a weird thing to want to see. Like our personal sensors are saying it's not fine. I want to leave. Yeah. Like, and so, um, it's interesting because even 50 years later or more than that, but like 70 years later, do we have a real sense of like how much radiation we should be exposed to? We do, but it doesn't sound like a country that has, that is really following it. Like, yeah. um, And I mean like that meltdown in the, like it's still, it's polluting the Pacific ocean and mm -hmm. it is on like, we live on the West coast and it is like, we are having the effects of it, but it's, just, it's kind of just like, there's nothing we yep. can do about it. Nuclear power was our nuclear, like just no, maybe not great. Stupid. Very stupid. Yeah. Wasn't real forethought there. No, no. <laughs> Unnecessary. Unnecessary. Thing. Yeah. Um, um, I also, I really liked, um, that this book was short. <laughs> That's not a reason to like No, 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 no. Because I felt like it got its point across in a small number of words. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, And it's some, that's something I'm it's coming sparse. to appreciate yeah. because we've been reading. We've read so many books that I feel are over bloated. So I feel like I've reached a point where I'd rather it be sparse than overly wordy. Like, I'd prefer it just be in the middle. But I would much prefer sparse over 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 wordy. Yeah, and I think the prose in here, I think, is really well written. The dialogue, I think, is re- is not good. Like, it's there's re- a theory behind that. It, I'm sure there is. <laughs> it's really stilted. It, it reads like it was a translation from Japanese or some other language, but it but it wasn't. It was written mm-hmm. in English originally, and um, it doesn't sound like people talk at all. And so, I to me, the dialogue like it totally takes you out of the wor- out of his wor- the world that he's trying to create because it seems so. It seems like robots talking to each other. Or, like, emotionless beings. I just didn't get that. But, again, I... But if you, like, if we, like, read a section of, like, her talking to her adult daughter back and forth right now, it wouldn't it wouldn't sound like how people really talk to each other. But is that people that... People that are able to communicate each other? Because I feel like it was more of... But even when she's talking, like, Atsuko is talking to Sachiko, which maybe that's an imaginary thing. But, like, if you're reading it, but, like... 
it doesn't sound it's it's just really stilted it doesn't flow I just didn't think I don't it was think that it's realistic. bad. Yeah. But then I listen to six-year-olds talk all day. So, I mean, <laughs> God knows maybe I'm not. I mean, it's not like the worst dialogue I've ever read, you know? But it's not. I just think it's uh, it's it's no, it's noticeable. I can't not notice it. Ah, uh, see, yeah. I just, what are you going to do when we have to read two more books by this author? Oh, be annoyed. <laughs> I mean, I went to this book with an open mind. Um, even though I didn't like Never Let Me Go and didn't finish it because I, you know, because I know there's more coming, uh-huh. right? And I read it and I kind of liked it until you, I got here and you told me about all the crazy theories and that made me like it a lot less. <laughs> I just, I know for a fact that I'm going to, we're going to be done recording. You're going to leave. I'm going to take my half finished glass of wine and I'm going to go read the rest of these conspiracy theories about this book for the rest of the night. <laughs> but are you going to have nightmares about ch- child murders? Well, she was carrying the rope in that final scene. I know. And that that was confusing when I read it, why she had Did she kill the child? Like, do I need to reread this book? Well, if you do, we can talk about it in the next episode. (laughs) And you can, you'll just like, you know, your eyes will be bloodshot. Your hair will be dirty. I've done nothing. You're just like, I've been looking at it and looking and looking. Um, Speaking of which, your book had a surprise in it. Oh, yeah. So hidden in the back pages, I found two like boarding pass stubs from United Airlines for a flight from Miami to Chicago and there's no date on them but I can tell they're old because they're stamped with a real stamp not like they were scanned and there's a section that says are you in the smoking section no because like, how long ago they had stopped laying smoke on airplanes before we were know. born at least yeah a so, long time ago it was on the 6th of November it's yeah 6 40 p.m. Yeah, so, and it's, like, one of the names is a Japanese name, and so it's pretty it's pretty appropriate, one of the passengers. Yeah, and the other one is not. Yeah, because I assume that this guy's probably even more known in Japan than he is here. Yeah, it's so interesting. But, yeah, this is a fun, I use them as my bookmark, and I leave them in there for posterity. <laughs> yeah, well, um... Um, oh, last thing I wanted to talk about was that there's this line in this book in the beginning about how... When her Keiko killed herself, maybe that's what really happened. Everything is now a maybe, but when Keiko killed herself, that there's newspaper articles about it. And, I think and, Keiko and, for sure killed herself. It's just unclear whether Keiko was Masuki or whether the woman killed Masuki or whether Masuki was her own self. I think Keiko, no matter what, killed herself. Okay, so when Keiko killed herself, there was articles in the newspaper about it, and Isuko is like, oh, you... um, um. The English have never really been able to get rid of their fascination and assumption that Japanese p- culture has a tendency towards suicide, mm-hmm. which which is like I assume because of like suicide, like what are the, what were those the planes and they would crash the plane kamikaze yeah um that's like in pop culture but then also like it's recently that one YouTuber guy went to the suicide force in Japan oh, yeah, and got Logan like, Paul yeah and like got really terrible did terrible made a video about it and was really disrespectful and terrible and stuff and then like and so it's just like oh like i feel like that mysticism about for some reason about the japanese culture suicides exists like Mm -hmm. it does exist which i don't really i think that's super weird and not fair or not a fair thing to say because and kind of a ridiculous thing to say but well and it's interesting because um there is suicide from what I've read, obviously I don't live in Japanese culture, so feel free to correct me, anyone. But um, is not as it's not a good thing, but it's not as terrible as a thing as we see it here. 
Yeah, well, it's a totally different, like, cultural beliefs like about honor, honor and, and stuff. And, like, have you ever read any articles about how, like, there's a phenomenon in Japan where people, like, just, like, basically, lot, like, become hermits in their, ha- in their apartment complexes and never come out again? And, like, yeah. it's, like, lots of, like, and they never get married. And, and it's just, like, it's, like, the cultural norms are breaking down, you know? And, like, Well, yeah. my question is that, my comment on that is that how much of that weird, like, butting up is because of how quickly Japan changed its whole yeah and was like had to like adjust their traditional to westernized ideas and then those because I feel like sometimes over time because all cultures shift and change and adaptation to like what's around them over time but when it's a natural shift like so when I can't think of any time in the world where it wasn't as people killing each other. But, like, when it's a slower shift over the melding of time, I feel like the cultures kind of adapt around each other. Whereas when it's just jammed This was very in, forced. Yeah. It's, like, a forced, like, oh, no, we didn't. Our system of honor did, isn't dead yet, but now you've introduced your system of Western high stress needs to have everything done immediately on top of this honor system. Does that create cultures that lead to that suicide rate or cultures where people would lock themselves up. Like I, it's very interesting to me what the effect of that kind of rapid yeah. slamming together does. And I mean, I don't know how Japan's suicide rate compares because our suicide rate is very high. Mm-hmm. It's like in the top 10 causes of death. Yeah. Right. And for some age group, it's the number one cause of death. And so, uh, so it's like, maybe it could, our rate could be higher. You or, know? Yeah. Or I don't know. It's, it's, so it's just really interesting. Yeah. Right? I just think Japanese culture is interesting. And I think, there's like a weird thing where Americans become really obsessed with Japanese culture. Some of because they're into like anime and stuff that's like, oh, this is like a positive thing. And some that seems weird and, and like, like fetishizing. Yeah. Which is not cool. But I think Japanese culture is interesting because it's like, it's the most homogenous country on the face of the earth. 98% of Japanese people are, are ethnically Japanese a hundred percent. And I think that just creates like a very unique setting, you know, that doesn't exist in other countries that have more diversity because more values have a clash. Mm-hmm. And it's in, from that history of like for 200 years, Japan didn't let any outsiders in. It's like, there's yeah. like this thread of that all through it. And so I don't know. I don't know that much about it. And so I'll take all of this with a grain of salt, but I think it's interesting. <laughs> I think it's really interesting too. And I'm gonna Google the shit out of this book later. <laughs> well, I think we I already know. You. I think we already know our answers, but um, do you think this is a book that other people should read before they die? One, two, two, three. No. no. Oh, I, you said no? Yeah. I wow. Know. I'm surprised. You were so into it. I like it. I just don't think it's, I mean, I don't think it's a book everyone needs to read before they die. Fair enough. And especially because we know some of his other books are going to be on the list. Yeah. Um, And one of the other books that is on the list is one that he won a Nobel Prize or like a prize for in literature. Like oh. he won a, not Nobel Prize, but he, he is a Nobel Prize winning Man author. Booker Prize or something. Yeah, this one man, this one won the Man Booker. I thought. Oh, I don't know. But one of his other books is his big that we'll have to read. The his, remains of the day. That one's yes. mentioned on my cover here. Yeah. That's the one. What's one of the ones we'll have to read? So I'm thinking that that if I'm going to choose something by this author, I would choose that one. Yeah. I'm very rambly. Sorry. Yeah. His, it's, it says here his second novel, An Artist of the Floating World, was shortlisted for the Booker Prize and won the 1986 White Whitbread Book of the Year award. His most recent novel, when this was published, was The Remains of the Day. Yeah. This and is, then, oh, this is his first novel, A Pale yeah. View of the Hills. So this is why this book's weird, and then they only probably get weirder after this. 
I like it. Uh, You're allowed to like it. But we just don't usually disagree this vehemently. Yeah, this, I mean, this is a lot, this is like a lot just about taste, you know? Like, like, without like just my like taste about books, I would give this book like a six. <laughs> a eight? Yeah, that's, that's not that far apart. I was like six or seven. But know? with taste, you're with down taste, to like, like a, two. Yeah. <laughs> Three, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, um, too, because we have such similar reading tastes that when we have a book that we don't agree on, I'm like, but I have to convince you to agree <laughs> with me because we always agree. That's how I felt that way about Indigo, where I was just like, I know it has problems, but let me tell you about what's good about it. Yeah. Because it just doesn't happen to us very often. Oh, just like, it's, but it's so, yeah. It's good tension for the podcast. It is good. We should, yeah, keep that alive. So, uh, um, <laughs> all right. Next segment is going to be about. <laughs> Um, so I recently bought my first home and Chelsea, you're in the market looking for your first home. Yeah. And so that we were discussing before the podcast of like how I'd bought some new bookshelves. And so if you had in your future home, if it was going to have a room that was a library, which I'm definitely not going to have in my house, but, and you probably won't have either, (laughs) but if you had one, what would it look like? What would be in there? What would be the vibe of your ideal home library? Um, so I love Anne Bogle, (laughs) uh, and what should I read next? And I follow her on Instagram and I literally want to pick up her library and put it in my house. What does it look like? So it's wall, floor to ceiling bookshelves on one wall. And then there's like, there's a couple other spots around the room where it looks like there's bookshelves and she has her like, and they're all beautifully organized and like tastefully like spaced and stuff. (laughs) And then it has two, like, reading chairs in front of it um, and a little, like, circular coffee table. And she has one of those, like, I'm sure it's probably not an Ikea cart, but maybe it is. Those Ikea carts, like, bar carts mm-hmm. um, that are super colorful that's filled with her, like, I'm going to read these next books. Oh, that's cute. Um, I want her library. Okay. So nice. I would like that. Comfy chairs. Very, It's very bright. I wouldn't want a dark library. Like a traditional. No, one. I'd want bright, like whites and like light grays and bright, mm. bright, bright. And then um, like somewhere for like a quote board or something where you could change it with a season to put a quote that would be just up in it. Nice. nice. And it, I don't know. And what else? What else would I put? A coffee pot. <laughs> um, I think mine would have, it would have a bay window. Yeah. Like a reading nook. And then probably like two like wing wing back chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like really cozy and like in like bright color, a bright color like bright blue, a bright yellow, yes. or something, or like emerald green. And then yeah, floor at least on yeah, I like like really floor to ceiling. And then I'd want to have like I want it to be tall enough to have like have to have like a sliding ladder. Yes, know? Ann Bogles has that. Oh, that's so great. Um, and I don't think I and I would want it um like really dark. Like I'd want dark like wood or anything, mm-hmm. but it. But I wouldn't mind if it had, like, if it was kind of old-fashioned and maybe it had, like, a fireplace um, with a mantle, you know, and then, and then like, that some of the books were, like, leather-bound and, like, old-looking, you know? Yes. I think I would like that. I'm about to show Nicole a picture of Van Bogle's library. Oh, yeah. That's pretty. It's yeah. just so gorgeous. She has a dog in it, too. I'd like to have a dog in my yeah, library. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, like, maybe, like, like some, like. Yeah, like a basset hound or something like that. And just a basset hound. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I think I, yeah, like, yeah, cozy, 
So then it'd be like, sit in the window seat for mm-hmm. lights, sit by the fireplace in the winter, like full season. Yes. Uh, and then um, I kind of would want it to be like intentionally like over full of books. Oh, yeah, always. You know, with like, you oh, have there's, to a, have there's a stack that are being like a doorstop. And, you know, there's a stack that's like, and there's a stack on the mantle and that, that kind of thing. Um, I've kind of begun to use stacks of uh, seasonally themed book colors. <laughs> I was wondering why you had one Harry Potter book out of the set box set. Well, that's my safety Harry Potter book that I take on airplanes with me. Oh, sure. Um, But then there's a black one, a dark blue one, one that's gray with orange writing, and then an orange book, all just stacked up right now as a decor <laughs> item because they're Halloween colors. That's awesome. So, you know. Yeah. So I moved into my new place and I had two bookshelves and I've been imagining putting them on like kind of the big wall in the living mm-hmm. room and then I put them up there and I was just like it's not enough and so I bought a third identical one and I put them all in a row so that I, and it's like I definitely don't have enough books to fill them all yet but it's good because I'm gonna be keep buying the podcast books and so I need the space 31 um, in <laughs> but so I need the space this is 32 this book oh is 32. yeah um but I but then I was like oh I can put my board games on here but it's like that's the only part of my house that I've unpacked I've like put some clothes in my dresser and I've arranged my books like I haven't just gotten them out of the boxes I've like arranged them by color I've like stood back and these ones are gonna go on their side and these like, nothing else is unpacked nothing else is cleaned I like I took the stuff out for the kitchen and my books that's it <laughs> and yeah. it's like that felt like the most important thing and so uh, and this house, that's going to have to be my, that wall is going to serve as my library. And there's definitely room for a fourth bookshelf should the need arise. arise. <laughs> well, in the house we're looking out to buy, um, my fiance Jeremy will work from home some days, hopefully. And so then we'll need an office. And I'm like, an office can, you know, moonlight oh, yeah. as a library. A hundred percent. Yeah. And until you have kids, you're going to have extra bedrooms. Yeah. So you might want to well you know, library. fill out whatever the books. <laughs> then I can be like damn you child you got rid of my library <laughs> plus probably all the once you have a house your parents are probably going to want you to stop storing the crates of books you have over there i may have a problem <laughs> but you then you get to have them with you and that'll be a good thing all the time yeah yeah <laughs> um so i think that kind of wraps up we've had two short episodes in a row but short doesn't always mean bad it just means our lives are busy and you can always chat with us in between episodes Yes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 1001BooksPod or on Litzy at 1001BooksPodcast or email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. We need to draw Book 33. Oh, I almost closed us out earlier. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Book 33 is called The Mandarins. What is that about? The Oranges. Ma- so literal. I think it's about. <laughs> I feel like you hate that I do that and it makes me <laughs> like it all the more. I don't more. know how this. I just want you to like pause for like two seconds to think of a real answer so I don't always have to carry the weight of this section okay Um, it could be about oranges could be about oranges my guess is that like a mandarin being like a person in ancient China who who like took the exams and had the top level of education in the emperor Chinese emperor's court you know what I'm talking about no they were called mandarins I'm pretty sure that's where that comes from. And then, like, colloquially, oh. it means more just, like, a really well-educated educated person who has a really broad knowledge base. Huh. I didn't ever, never heard of that. All right. Well, I'm... See? Learning I'm something like new. I'm, like, 80% sure that's the thing, so... I mean, I think that's more likely than oranges. I mean, what if it's about a guy who's like that who has or- an orange growth? <laughs> or, or it's about an orange... 
that takes the exams. I it's like sort of an allegory. If the word orange is in this book at all, I'm just going to take a picture of it. Be like, the orange was in there. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, right. we'll have to see. Well, until next time. Happy, happy reading. reading.